0: May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good evening, friends. It's really good to be here with you this evening, both for Jerry and myself. Um, And it's not been the kind of Christmas week which we had imagined. And for once, I'm going to bore you with the details. In fact, These are the kind of things that I can't help telling people about. Um, Our daughter Naomi has been expecting twins. And uh, as there have been some problems which came to light back in October, we've been praying for them every day. And the twins were due to be born next Wednesday by caesarean at 34 weeks. But they decided um, that they wanted to celebrate Christmas. So they came, of their their own time and of their own accord, last Saturday evening, the 22nd of September. No, December. Let's get the month right. And uh, here they are, our daughter's twins. First of all, we've got uh, Caris, 1.9 kilograms, and the name Caris, which Naomi and Sam chose, um, while well, back at the stage when we first knew there might be potential problems it's the New Testament word for grace as in the word became flesh and we have seen his glory full of grace, full of charis and truth and the smaller is called Joey just 1.2 kilos um, but growing and um, why, Joey? Well, it's from Josephine, which of course, is the feminine of Joseph, which in Hebrew means, "God will increase." So that was our prophetic and prayerful name for the little one. And um, there is testimony in all of this, and we'll tell you the rest later on uh, if there's time. But all just to, just to say now that both of these are doing very well, as is their mum and their dad. And so they have been a joy for us this Christmas. Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 15. When the angels left them, the shepherd said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Um... In this illustration here from a cartoonist called Simon Smith, you see we've got speech bubbles there, and as we hear this reading, we know the story and we can fill in the speech bubbles for ourselves. We know who these shepherds are and why they're there, and we know what the angels had to say. We know the message which the angels gave, which meant great joy for all the people, that a Saviour would be born, who is Christ the Lord, and that he would be found in Bethlehem, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We know about how the host of angels appeared, giving glory to God. And then as they leave and go back to heaven, as the night becomes still again, like the fishermen leaving their nets to follow Jesus, the shepherds would leave their animals to find what the angels had told them. A baby born and lying in a manger. Now, all of this we know because Luke tells us in his gospel. Sometimes it's kind of hard for us to unravel what we know about Christmas from the traditional scenes, from the different Gospels and so on. But without Luke's Gospel, we would not have those essential components of the Nativity story. We wouldn't have those angels singing praise. We wouldn't have the shepherds. The Gospels share a common framework, and they have much material in common, as we know. But each has a distinctive perspective, And emphasis. And as we'll see, the shepherds and the angels are part and parcel of the distinctive emphasis of the good news as Luke shares it. So who are these shepherds? And why does Luke want to tell tell us their part in the story of Jesus' birth? Well, we begin with that familiar statement that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If we recall into the Old Testament, both Moses and David were watching over their flocks when God called them to be shepherds of his people. But by the time of Jesus' birth, many people believe that the shepherds were part of a social and religious underclass. They were working people, that's for sure. They had to deal with the messy realities of death and life, and with smelly animals who injured themselves, who weed and pooed and so on. And so to welcome shepherds to the place of birth might perhaps not be the, most best, the best thing to do. But to comfortable people and the religious elite, these shepherds were people outside the law. They were beyond the perimeter fence of God's covenant people. They belong to what in the Old Testament were described as the people of the land. Ha'am Ha'aretz. If you Google or look in a Bible commentary for the people of the land, you'll see it's a distinctive phrase very often, which means the despised poor, the people who left on the land, lived on the land and had no place at God's people. You know, when the Babylonians came and took Israel into exile, these people of the land, Ha'am Ha'arets, were so little worth or value to them, they didn't even bother taking them into Israel. They just left them there with a torch land. And yet it was the shepherds who were there first to witness the birth of Jesus, and in traditional arts, as we have in these two pictures. Could you go back one, Barry? In these two pictures, the shepherds are somehow sanitized. We don't see them quite as they might have been considered at the time. And so, when I think of the shepherds, and I try to place them in a contemporary context, I think of the neglected and largely invisible estates, housing estates on the edge of most towns and cities, not unlike the so-called racecourse estate where we used to live outside Manchester. When I told people where we lived, people have maybe been involved in probation or social work, uh, or in the police. They kind of gave me a knowing look, the racecourse estate. Oh, you live there. Here in Norwich, the shepherds might have come from the Larkman or Marlpit estates out up the Deerham Road, an area which is known locally as Monkey Island. Why? It implies a ghetto of inbreeding, which comfortable people do well to avoid or stay in their cars as they drive through it. But it is so characteristic of Luke's gospel that the first people to whom the angels speak of Jesus' birth, and not just with a star to lead them there, but with angels from God himself, are precisely not the wealthy and the learned people from exotic lands, but the local underclass who live outside the city walls. The first public words we hear of Jesus in Luke's gospel, in chapter 4, 18, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 as a kind of manifesto. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, he has Christed me to bring good news to the poor. That's why Jesus came. And I wonder if Luke wants us to see, with the shepherds, the fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah that we know in the Christmas story. The people who walked in darkness, far outside the knowledge of God. People without the law and without hope. Those people have seen the great light, and on them the light of God has shone. So these prophets shepherds act immediately on the angels' words and the signs which the angel gave them. And they find a newborn wrapped up in strips of cloth and laid for want of anywhere else in an animal trough, as the angel had described. And so it says in verse 17, they spread the word about what had been told them. And then in verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what they said. Was it, were they amazed because they heard it from these shepherds, the underclass, who had no right to be there as a sign of God's grace? Or was it the message which they gave, and probably both. The interpreter's Bible commentary remarks, we are given the impression that a large crowd of witnesses is present. All were amazed at what they said. But in the traditional nativity scene in a cave or a stable, the only witnesses are the animals looking on, because as the carol goes, in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. So who was this crowd of people who were amazed at what the shepherds reported? Well, it seems that Jesus' birth may not have been quite as tradition has pictured it. a guy called Ken Bailey, the American author, of a book from two or three years ago called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, looked at this passage again in the light of his lifetime's experience of Middle Eastern culture. First of all, he asks whether it's conceivable that Jesus, sorry, that Joseph, as a descendant of King David, would not have been welcomed into somebody's home at Bethlehem without needing to look for travellers' accommodation, and especially given Mary's condition. Today in the news, we see the response of Lebanese border villagers to refugees fleeing from Syria. We see that hospitality is, is not an option, but it's a principle, it's embedded into how life is lived. And Bailey asks, would that not have been the same for Jesus, for Joseph and Mary? Would they have had to look for travellers' accommodation? And then Bailey looks at the typical design of houses from that era and looks at the words that Luke uses in this description. Basically, the whole family lived and slept in a single room, And at night, the animals would be brought down into a stall, which was at a slightly lower level from the main room. And there they could feed from troughs, which were either dug into the floor of the room or made with wood. And so bringing the animals in at night, it kept them safe and it helped to keep the room warm for the family who were sleeping there. And so we have this word fatne in Greek, which means the animal's feeding trough or the manger. And we can imagine that would be um, filled with straw or hay. But for many, for many houses, there was also a guest room, a kataluma, which was built on at the end. And that word "cataluma." is traditionally known to us as the inn, as in there is no room for them at the inn. Now, Bethlehem, as we know, was crowded as families were reunited for the census. All the sons of Bethlehem came back to their home city. So Bailey argues it was not that Joseph and Mary could not find hospitality in Bethlehem, but in the house where they were staying, there was no room for them in the cataluma, the guest room, because they're already family there. And so they were staying with the family in the main room. And so, according to Bailey, when Mary gave birth, she would have been surrounded by family, surrounded by women, that is, because the men of the house would, of course, have had to leave while. She was giving birth, or perhaps they were actually the shepherds. And so Jesus was laid in a fatne, a manger, as the safest and warmest place. And so we can imagine that the house would actually have been full of people as the shepherds arrived. The family and surrounding Joseph and Mary. Um, who were amazed at what the shepherds said. So what was the testimony that the shepherds gave? They spoke of the prophetic sign describing how they would find the newly born boy and identify him. Wrapped with strips of cloth and laid in the manger And so finding it was the guarantee of the particular things that the angels said about this boy. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. And he is the Messiah. In other words, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Lord Sometimes when we say things like, Jesus is my savior, or Jesus lives in my heart, we've got it right that this is an intensely personal thing, but sometimes we can privatize salvation or make it too individualistic. We can internalize it into what happens between me and God. But what God has in mind, in the mystery of his will, which he has made known to us, it's a fulfillment of his plan to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. As in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, those great verses. That's God's purpose, and that's where the birth of Jesus is where all of this begins, God's plan in him. Now, of course, neither the shepherds nor the other people present could see all of this. But nevertheless, they were amazed at what the shepherds told them. God had remembered them and come close amongst them. And this was a message of great joy for all the people, as it says in chapter 2, verse 10. And meanwhile, meanwhile, Mary treasured up all these things, adding them to what God had already revealed to her personally and privately concerning her child, and she pondered them in her heart. We can only imagine where her thoughts took her as this life began to unfold. And then finally, the shepherds returned Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told as it says in verse 20 and here is a distinctive emphasis and pattern in Luke's gospel repeated many times God is revealed God comes close to people typically through a miracle of healing his grace and salvation bring joy and others are drawn in to giving praise to God. The Interpreter's Bible says, the shepherds are prototypes of the Christian mission, witnessing to all they have heard and seen. And so it is with the paralytic who is let down through the roof in chapter 5, 25, 26. And the blind man on the road to Jericho at the end of chapter 18 of Luke's Gospel immediately, quote, he regained his sight and he followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, glorified God. And this is what we, like the shepherds, are called to do. To rejoice at what we've heard and seen. And to make it known such that others are drawn to life-giving praise. We are the body of Christ, And this is our mission statement. We exist to make known the mighty acts of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We who are once no people, but are now God's people. And so, this is what this sermon is about it's our witness to what we've seen and heard. So that others may discover the amazing grace of God and the joy of knowing Him, and their lives and ours be changed in life giving praise. I remember an evening some 40 years ago when, as a teenager, just like the shepherds on that night, my world was filled with light. It was the evening that God opened my eyes and spoke to my heart, and I discovered for myself what those wretched Christians, including my brother, had been banging on about. I remember all thinking all the things that had been important to me in my life, including A-levels and music and mountains. and they were still there, but I saw them like in a new dimension bathed with light and eternity. And I realized that all the years since that that sense of a new dimension to life, to everything, to the world has never left me. I wondered how I would tell people about it. And I decided that I might as well just go and do it. And so even before I arrived at school the next day, I told three people, Six or seven weeks later, on the first Sunday of 1973, one of those three people also came to faith. And that's how we're both here this evening. But what about now? I mentioned at the start our two Christmas babies, Karis and Jerry. And we'd just like to end with a testimony about how God has answered our prayers and ordered things for us in his grace over this past week. And Jerry's going to come and share that for us.
1: So it's been a Christmas full of joy and wonder. And a lot to store up and treasure in our hearts about the wisdom of God and providence. And just a few things as form part of a testimony which is wonderful to share. This is the first Christmas in 30 years where neither of us has had par- parish responsibilities. We haven't had non-stop Christmas services and preaching. And for the last few years, putting on Christmas lunch for 100 guests on Christmas Day on that racecourse estate... If I'd already been appointed to a parish in Norfolk, which might happen, could we possibly have been where we needed to be on the 22nd of December and able to help our family that first week? Similarly, if Dave's mother had not been unwell, we would be looking after her in Norwich. she Be able to come another time, but would we have been able to drop everything and undo arrangements with her here and then there, our daughter and son in law and babies? And then we may not have sheep, but we do have a 20 and a half year old cat, and all of the cat inns we tried were full. Until, looking on Norwich Cattery sites as we had to drop everything and go, we found one cancellation. And so we had a vacancy, a place in the cat inn for our aged cat so we could leave her in safe hands and go down south. So, not only in the safe birth of our first grandchildren, but in all the circumstances surrounding this week, we feel that prayers have been answered and God has worked all things for good, accordance, in accordance with his will. So, thank you.